This episode of the If You Ask Betty podcast is brought to you by Audiate from TechSmith. Audiate makes recording and editing your voice as simple as editing text in a document. And you can try it out for free. I even used Audiate to record this ad. I'll drop a few more details in just a bit, so keep listening, and you can learn more at TechSmith.com. Welcome to the If You Ask Betty podcast. This podcast is designed to discuss all kinds of development topics for all kinds of learning professionals. I'm your host, Betty Danowitz, and today we're talking with Katie Ryan Fotiatis and Marta Miranda Straub about L&D's role in diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Hi, Katie Ryan and Marta. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Can you help our listeners get to know you a little bit better? Can you give us a quick intro about you and maybe even how we met? So my name is Katie Ryan Fotiatis. I'm a double first name gal. Uh, the accent is Eastern Tennessee, if you're trying to place it. <laughs> but I currently live in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, I'm a learning strategist. So I work in spaces of learning and development, organization development, and performance improvement while also working closely with HR and considering the organization's business goals. Um, so I, I basically take a really interconnected approach to the strategies that will best lead to a solution um, in that learning and development space. And that could mean an e-learning um, that I design and develop or a culture change or an apprenticeship program, or it could mean that you get the equipment fixed or change the policy and stop band-aiding it with training. <laughs> it's mm. kind of fun to figure out which thing is needed. Um, and all of that's really just a long-winded way to say that I make sure that people have the tools and resources they need to both do and be their best on the job. Um, Betty, I think we met through a webinar that you were on for AR. And then I reached out to you after over LinkedIn, and then we kind of got to know one another that way. And then Marta's getting to meet you for the first time, so I'll let Marta introduce herself. I'm Marta Maria Miranda Straub, and I am currently the Commissioner for Department of Community-Based Service for the state of Kentucky. I came out of retirement uh, about five weeks ago when I was appointed by the governor uh, to run one of his largest cabinets. Prior to that, I had retired uh, in 2018 uh, from 45 years of doing trauma, social justice, gender justice work, uh, as well as a full professor at Eastern Kentucky University, uh, where I taught for 17 years. So I'm a social worker, a clinical and organizational social worker. So I have the clinical arm of working with individuals, families, and groups, as well as the community organizer, policy, um, kind of structural, organizational OD work in my organizational side. So upon retirement, I got a mermaid tattoo because that was my next job. Um, mermaid author on the beach, wrote my memoir, and relaunched my consulting practice. And that's how I actually met Katie, because I've been in the DEI and belonging space for over 35 years and have been doing a lot of trainings, a lot of uh, uh, culture change, uh, teamwork around that area, and designed a pretty special training and um, how to transform your organization. Uh, 
and transform your culture. And we needed an e-learning module to get everyone on the same page and to actually see where people were so that we can design an individualized training program for our local Metro and United Way here. So I was a keynote speaker at a HR conference and Katie was very eloquent and passionate. And I said, I, I need to meet her. And uh, <laughs> so I tapped her after my public speaking, read her one of my poems. Yes. And uh, I've been attached to her hip ever since. Um, she designed the e-learning module for my consulting practice, Catapult Now, called Leading in Color. Um, and the goal of that uh, training and module and organizational development work is to move organizations to be able to not only hire uh, leaders of color, but be able to retain them and promote them to high leadership position. Uh, both um, the for-profit and nonprofit sector have a dearth of leaders of color. So um, when I finished my, what I thought was my career, um, I started that, uh, a podcast, Leading in Color, starting developing the curriculum. And that's how I met up with, uh, with Katie Ryan. Well, I think that proves that y'all are very qualified for what we're talking about today. We're going to be chatting about L&D's role in diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And I think you'll agree with me, there has never been a better time to have this conversation. I'm so excited that you two are here, and I'm so excited that Katie Ryan brought you on, Marta. I'm already Thank a you. better person having met you, and it's been what? Oh. It's, been, it's been like 15 minutes of technical issues. Your story is amazing. I love the mermaid tattoo part, and I love that you thought your career was done. I love that you thought you were retired, but there's really a lot more work for you to do, and I think that's pretty cool. Now, Betty, I want to share with you, I purposely have not ever worked in um, any kind of federal or state or local government because I am not a bureaucrat. But just to really affirm what you said, we are at a time that is unprecedented in regards to our opportunity to really shift paradigms and create systemic and uh, change. Mm -hmm. And that's why I said yes to coming out of that beautiful retirement uh, curve, because um, it's, if it's enough. And if not now, it's not going to happen. Yeah, I'm with you. I completely agree. So you guys have both sort of told us a little bit about what you do. Tell us a little bit more as far as what is the driving passion that you have for being in this field? So what is it that sort of lights your fire and keeps you going? It makes you want to dig even deeper. And we'll, st we'll start with Katie Ryan, if that's okay. I guess for me, really, and I know it sounds cliche, but this is so true. It, making a difference in people's lives is paramount to me. Um, mm -hmm. At the heart of it, I, I truly want to be of service in creating change for healthy impacts in the workplace, helping people be successful where, you know, we spend a significant portion of our time or we're affected by how another person spends the majority of their time in the workplace. So my own learning and development throughout my formal um, and on the job uh, education has had a really fundamental shift on the trajectory of my career as well as my internal joy. I've seen how the presence of or lack of that learning and development has impacted myself, my family, my friends, colleagues. And it's kind of that culmination of witnessing both my own experience, reflecting on it and seeing that of others that drives me. I just want to consistently experience equitable and inclusive workplaces. And I want to see all of us operating from a place of fulfillment rather than depletion. That's what moves me along in this field. It's a tall order. But I think it's an amazing goal. It's, it's one that we all truly have, I believe. 
it's just what I, what I love about you, Katie Ryan, is that you see it as possible, probable, and you keep moving towards it and you're working hard to educate others on it. And I love that. So thanks Thank so you. much. Thanks for sharing that. Okay, Marta, you're up. What's the driving passion for you to be in this field, to come up out of retirement and uh, get your mermaid tail gone and get your legs walking again towards yeah. this. My, my mermaid tail is in the closet, uh, Betty. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a lot of closets, but now the mermaid is in the closet. I, um, I grew up in revolutionary Cuba and I saw the world shift, uh, the role of women shift, the role of poor people. Uh, then I saw it turn into a dictatorship and, and the betrayal of that. I am a social justice advocate and activist, period. Mm -hmm. regardless of whether I am a full-time professor or the chair of women and gender studies, which I was at EKU, or whether I am the CEO of a large nonprofit or now as the commissioner for the state of Kentucky, I hold the space for us to go through the difficult conversations and the difficult structure and the difficult feelings uh, that come up as we try to uh, be inclusive around queer identity, um, around you know religious uh, background, around abilities, and I breathe and live social justice. Uh, I live in Louisville, and uh, we've had one of the most continuous uh, statewide uprisings here. Very honored of that. And so I have no choice if I'm going to mm -hmm. live and breathe than to do this work. It is what runs through my veins, and uh, it's what I was put on this earth to do. I would agree with that 100%. You are obviously very compelled, compassionate, empathetic. So um, again, thanks thanks so much, Katie Ryan, for bringing Marta here. Thank you both for talking through sort of what is your driving passion. What does the impact of our current environment with COVID-19, with racial injustice, what does the impact those things have on the L&D field? What are your thoughts? I think the important thing is within this current environment, really what has shifted is the intensity. There, there's now a spotlight shining more intensely. It's showing us really clearly what's taking place. This has been happening, but now there's this giant spotlight illuminating where our denial once was. How that relates to L&D is that we have a platform uh, everyone has this really clear vision and laser focus on what needs to be changed. And we are there for that as L&D professionals. That's what we do. It's the primary function of why we exist, to make sure that we provide a source for transformational change. I think too often, we've done our job in a very reactive way, so very prescriptive, where a subject matter expert says, here's my content, make it pretty, give it back to me, and then I'm going to do this in this siloed area, and we're going to do things with it. But, I mean, that's just not the way to go forward and have transformational change. So what I'm thinking about in, in the context here within this spotlight and realizing what's going on is really to connect ourselves to it lean into this, connect ourselves to get in there and do the work that we need to do. Um, what I mean by that is that this is a prime opportunity to recognize and make this mental model shift mm -hmm. with what we're doing in learning and development. Because L&D moves the needle and it is a platform for equity. Agreed. Marta, what are your thoughts? I really have seen 
the silver lining of both COVID and the largest civil rights movement in our history blow up existing paradigms that were based on structures of white supremacy, Mm -hmm. uh, including best practices, including how we hired, how we fired, what we trained, you know, how we designed strategy, retention, team building. You know, my arena is organizational development. I identify as an organizational midwife. And my job is to really figure out what is the product, what is the vision, what is the infant, what is the, the new life that an organization wants to achieve, needs to achieve in order to move to that next level of development. This big push to go uh, where people were stuck dealing with uh, DEI, where they were kind of wondering where they really wanted to do root cause work, where they're really looking at doing HR audits to look at where they were in regards to disparities and disproportionality, all of that resistance got blown out of the water because now they had to turn on a dime. Uh, they had to work uh, primarily virtually. Um, they had to reach out to each other in humane ways that they never would have done before. Um, and they began to see the atrocity of the violence and the the amazing struggle of poverty, all those veils got lifted by COVID and Black Lives Matter. Um, so even people who were not even aware based on their bubble or privilege um, of these issues that a lot of us have been doing this work and living this work for a long time were, are now part of the conversation and when they were never part of the conversation. And I think we have a very narrow window of time where we can make transformational change in the area of DNI based on COVID and based on uh, civil rights uh, demonstrations that we're having. Yeah, I think you're right. And I like that you called out the narrow window of time because I think that a lot of people think, okay, things are different now. Yes, but will we stay in the same level of intensity that we are right now in being interested in maintaining the changes that have happened? Well, historically we have not. So I'm glad you said we have this narrow window and if and when, and I say this hesitantly, if and when we do begin to like learn in person together again, um, I'm sure it will happen someday. I'm just, I have no idea when that's going to happen, but when that does happen, will things be different than they were? Yes, they will. Will they be a lot different? I'm not so sure. I think we are creatures of habit and we will go back to the thing that we remember even if it was two years ago or three years ago that we remember it. And it's the same thing with these, with these movements. We have to actually make real solid change. Like we have to change management ourselves. So like yes. we make these changes and then we have to follow these. We've got to follow the principles of change management to keep them going. Otherwise we will fall back into our own patterns. Oh, I totally agree, Betty. And I think Mm -hmm. the way as an OD person that I see this, and and I'm curious to hear what you think, Katie, is to implement systemic and structural ways as the backbone of what we do our work so Mm -hmm. that everything else falls within this new paradigm of how we want to do our work, how we see ourselves, well, how we talk about our work, um, and who we have at the table helping to continue to define the work. That if we do that, if we can do that infrastructure backbone, then we, we're not gonna be able to go back. 
And that's what I'm hoping to create is backbone structures that systemically are different and are not based on a white supremacy paradigm and assumptions. And with built-in oh. accountability. If we're not holding ourselves accountable, then we'll have scoliosis again, just to, to build on your backbone uh, analogy yeah, there. Right. And the other thing that occurs to me here, here in both of y'all is, um, uh, and that was a y'all. I mm-hmm. mean, I'm repping East. I love East that. East. I love that. You <laughs> <laughs> all means everybody, right? <laughs> That's right. It's the most it's inclusive right. slang out there, right? That's right. Yeah. So, so, well, something in particular that stood out to me, Marta, was you said, and then we just had to serve people. Which I, is what we were supposed to be doing anyway. Mm-hmm. The whole time. And isn't that what we do in L&D, right? Not just on the social work side of things, but isn't that what we do in learning and development? We're yeah. there to serve people. So, it's going to that question to make sure that we don't fall back into those patterns, Betty. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, what am I most familiar with? Is starting to build awareness. That's what we're doing. We're doing that as a country. We're doing that globally. We're doing that in our small pockets. We're building awareness. And some of the awareness that we need to build in L&D is asking ourselves questions like, where is learning and development reactive? Where are we passive? Where are we participatory? Where are we leading the platform for change? Where, right, so where are we complicit? And where are we actually stepping forward and saying, hey, I I get that you think that everything on video is fantastic, but there's a different way. There's another way we can do this. There's a better way we can do this. And building that awareness both internally, which is, which is what a lot of the discussion is, right? Do the work, do the work Mm -hmm. yourself Mm -hmm. so that you can bring that best self to the table. We're always talking about different people getting a seat at the table, a seat at the table. And that's a very common conversation in L and D is, well, how do we get that seat at the table so that people are listening to us? Hello, giant spotlight right now where we can step in and say, okay, here it is, Mm -hmm. right? This is where we can make change. This is where we can participate in that transformational change. And when we're looking at where L&D fits in, it fits in from the bottom up, the top down, it fits in width, breadth, depth, it fits in all of that. So even, even those pieces when we're thinking about COVID and uh, you know, we're saying, well, that just kind of blew everything. Marta was saying everything changed on a dime. Everything had to shift. And also, didn't we become a lot more human? I mean, I know that everybody's like, I'm tired of seeing people's cats walk across the screen. But at the same time, think of all of the, the level playing field that mm-hmm. happened from that. Like, oh, okay, you have children you have to tend to. You have an aging parent you have to tend to. Oh, it's not just your wife who does all of this stuff for you. Oh, it's right. So there's all of these pieces that are shifting Mm -hmm. and showing us more humanity, showing us humility. Marta, you talk a lot about humility, cultural humility, right? And we're seeing that. So this is it. This is the time. When we've been wondering, well, what are we going to do? How do we affect change? Where and how do we get a seat at the table? This is it. This is it. This is the call to action. Step up. The humanization of the workspace. 
Yes. The, the actual messiness of human beings' work, not being homogenized and sterilized, but a superficial environment of work, mm -hmm. and being able to see work as an integral part of our lives, which include, I have to tell my child how to get on that computer to be able to take care of their homework, mm -hmm. you know, or, you know, my baby needs to eat, or, you know, I need to work starting at 6 p.m. or 8 p.m. when my kids go to sleep, being able to accommodate that. And we're even looking at Saturdays and, and people working overnight so that they can do what they need to do. You know, yeah. I got an email today from somebody who says, I have RA, I was getting ready to get disability, but because I've been able to work from home and keep my feet up and take my medicine and all that, I can make it the next seven years towards retirement. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes. what else do you need? You know, um, I think we're seeing the revolution of our work environment being more humane, uh, mm -hmm. of our own humanity uh, being in our faces on a regular basis. Seeing people's homes and, and how people live and what they use in their space. And I like messy. I am messy. Life is messy. I love that humanity that is coming with the work that we're doing and with the access that we have to each other's lives. I wonder if when they write the history books about 2020, I mean, they're going to have a lot. To, I mean, they're, they're going to write a whole book just about just the, oh, it's yeah. not a chapter. It's a whole book. There's so much that's happened, but I just wonder if, in, you know, you'd have heard of the industrial revolution. Will this be the humanity revolution? Uh, Let's hope so. You know, I love that. where we sort of came back to that and, and COVID has had, although I do still wish it would, I desperately wish it would go away. At the same time, it has lit the fire under the rocket that is digital transformation. I mean, you're talking yes. about the state government of Kentucky is now embracing this idea of, oh, wait, wait, wait. people can work from home and be productive? Huge yeah. feat. Right. We've, been Huge that for, feat. we've been saying that for like, I don't know, 25 years at least. And but people didn't think they were gonna work. How do we know if they're working? This is one somebody said, how do we know if they're working? Because they produce whatever we right. put outcomes. Outcomes. You don't right. have to be on them to get them. They, our productivity has gone up. Our absenteeism has gone down. You know, the productivity, the efficiency, the effectiveness, the work-life balance, the, the autonomy mm -hmm. that people have um, around being able to work uh, cyber. We can never go back. I don't whole, know how we would, yeah. Right. The, the whole, because this is the way we've done it, that's not an excuse. Blown away. Every, that's right. And now we can say, well, this is the way we've done it for the last six months. So we've stopped talking about diversity and inclusion and we are only talking about COVID now. So, <laughs> so let, we'll just circle the, we'll circle the wagons here and come on back. So I want to kind of go down this route of diversity, inclusion, equity, belonging. So mm -hmm. how, okay, my first question is, let's start with this. How does L&D currently engage in DEI or DEI and B and you know, what are, what are some things that you see happening right now? And then I want to talk a little bit about sort of what would the ideal state be? So let's start with that. What do you, what do you see happening right now? Yeah, Marty, well, why, a lot why don't of the you work go that into I that was one? Doing with Catapult has all been around DE&I and creating a culture of inclusion and belonging. Um, and it was slow, uh, just like developmental work is slow, right? Mm -hmm. uh, what happened as a result of COVID and the revolution around race and the televising of the torture of black people 
it, it again busted that bubble that a lot of us have been in. And organizations who maybe had a diversity conference once a year or thought we need to recruit more diverse people are now saying is what do we need to do internally to make sure that when we recruit diverse people, they want to stay. Mm -hmm. So it's shifted the conversation to systemic and structural system where people of color, uh, black people, African-American people, people uh, from diverse backgrounds can come to an environment where they're going to thrive and be part of the decision-making, which is where the belonging is, right? So, you know, I always use this analogy. It's like diversity is getting invited to the party. Inclusion uh, is being invited to dance, right? Mm -hmm. um, equity is being given everything you need to be able to dance and stay at the party. You may need shoes, you may need to know how to dance, you may need to, whatever it is that you need. But belonging is getting to pick the playlist, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That's what we want everybody to be at, is being able to influence the organizational culture, the policy, the way we move forward. Well, that's not going to happen if the system is set up to keep you out mm -hmm. and to keep all our low levels of functioning and then wonder why either you can recruit or you can retain. You can't because you're having a plantation. People are really doing some deep dives into how are we maintaining and benefiting, which is the right conversation to have right now, from racism. Mm -hmm. And what am I willing to do to dismantle racism and uh, the ways that we have done things that have kept everybody out intentionally. The system has worked exactly as it was designed. Mm -hmm. So we need to create a system that's designed to create a different outcome. Katie and I live in Louisville, and Louisville has been the hotbed due to Breonna Taylor and McAdee and over 100 days of constant protest um, right in front of City Hall. Um, uh, we had a $12 billion settlement today by the city admitting that it was a wrongful death of Breonna Taylor. Uh, never has the city paid that kind of settlement. And mm -hmm. not only a settlement, but these are all the changes that the police reform has to happen when along with that settlement. And we haven't even heard from our attorney general about whether these officers are going to be charged with a crime or not. Mm -hmm. And this has already happened. That happened today. That would have never happened. They came through today mm -hmm. um, and, and, and said this was a wrongful death and this is our settlement and this is what we're doing. Um, and we're not going to wait for the attorney general to call it a wrongful death and charge the officers. We're going to settle and do this. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely amazing. Enough? No. Important? Crucial? Yes. Mm -hmm. So what's happening to DNI is that it's gone from a side cart at the organizational level. It's not like what is internally that we're doing that we're not able to maintain people and to promote both at the private and uh, for profit. We have very few leaders of color. Why? Do you have anything to add, Katie Ryan? Currently, we produce diversity and inclusion training, um, often related to compliance. Uh, we miss the equity part because that part's scary to talk about. And, and then we don't. And it's expensive. I'm just And it's expensive. There. It is expensive. Major expensive. It is expensive. That's right. Yep. That's right. And then, so, so we, we, that, that's typically what happens. Like, okay, we want to, we want you to build us a diversity and inclusion training. Um, we're not going to get into the equity piece, 
Uh, and then we're going to leave out the most important part, which Mara brought up was belonging, right? Without belonging, as she said, you're not going to retain your talent. Mm-hmm. Why would I stay there? So, so coming from um, like an LGBTQ stance, mm-hmm. right? Like, I am so glad that you put up a pride poster and right. And do I feel like I belong here? If I don't, I'm out. Um, and this is a story we hear very often um, from people of color and very often from black women, right? About, mm-hmm. yeah, um, when I was interviewing or whatever this thing was, and maybe it doesn't start out good. Maybe it's just a known thing that it's not good, but maybe it does start out good. And then over time, it's like, I don't, I don't belong here. Mm-hmm. There is no sense of belonging for me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm out. Especially in corporate America, that we tiptoe around belonging. Because oh, yeah. we, we, have, we have anti-harassment training. We have anti-sexual harassment training. Because those are both two, you know, two different things. You know, and then we have... There was another one that I just thought of. Hostile work environment. Hostile work environment. Thank you. Hostile work environment. And then even like our ERGs are sort of designed so Mm -hmm. that not so that the corporation is, uh, is helping when it comes to belonging, but so that the people inside it can create that. And on one hand, I, I agree because there's no better way to feel like you belong than to create something about belonging. But at the same time, is the corporation really providing the content, the resources, you know, the expertise that's needed for these ERG programs to do anything that will significantly impact it? Not in my, not in my experience. Yeah, there's no, I mean, there's very, if there is, it's very little. So not in my experience, in my experience, they're like, here's the point of the ERGs, go make it happen. And so you're asking accountants and underwriters and uh, engineers to design uh, events that create belonging when they themselves might not even feel like they belong. We tiptoe around it and that's why they check the box. Okay, we did something with that, but But really they didn't. What you're saying is really crucial because here, go do that as opposed to come with us Mm -hmm. and let's do this together. And we're going to fund you. We're going to fund you to do it. We're going to fund it. And we're going to do, we're going to create that cultural belonging together Mm -hmm. with all of us at the table. As opposed to this group now is going to go do that. Well, no, that's not how this works. I mean, that's that's not not what belonging is. I'm not saying we shouldn't have ERGs. That's, I mean, that's another podcast. I think we should absolutely have ERGs, but I don't think that they are set up for success. Mm -hmm. No, it's a checkbox. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it is definitely checkbox. Hey there, I gotta pause the show for just a minute to talk more about Audiate from TechSmith. Audiate is a powerful new program that helps give you instant transcription and text-based audio editing. Yes, exactly what I just said. So as you are recording your voiceover, it is producing the transcript. Then when it's time for you to edit, all you have to do is read, edit, remove, etc. It even grabs those uhs and ums and ahs and marks them out for you so you can quickly remove one or all of them at the exact same time. You can try it right now free for seven days. Believe me, you're going to love it. Visit techsmith.com today to check it out. Okay, back to the show. 
on Love to it. the whole, what is L&D's role in this DEI and B? What, what is the desired role for us to play and be effective? So Katie, Ryan, I know you, you were jumping into that. Go right ahead. So tying these things in, this is where we've got to say, okay, so how do we critically and creatively think about moving from this reactive work to an active, not just proactive, but active, not passive, actively engaged with this platform and alternative ways to do our work. So at this point, it's important for us to begin asking ourselves, like, what are these additional ways that we can think about how this environment impacts our field? So this is part of building awareness is asking ourselves these questions. To what depth does this thing relate? How can we as L&D practitioners be of assistance to individuals and organizations? When I'm talking about platform for equity, right, and transformational change. Think about, let's just say a manufacturing community, and I have somebody who is an entry-level employee, and they're working themselves up the chain to become uh, maybe a team leader and then an area leader. And it's not that their workplace is not diverse, Mm -hmm. but there definitely is not representation of the way they look on the leadership team. And that's very different than your workplace being diverse. That's correct. Yes, very different. Yeah. Diverse to say mean inclusive. That's Mm -hmm. right. Oftentimes, leadership opportunities are given through hand selection. Like, oh, I identify this person, and this person I think could be great to start going to these leadership development trainings and and move up but now we have a problem with access right because and we know we know certain things to be true we know that bias exists we know that there are all these different types of bias and we know that a lot of times if we don't relate to someone then we're probably not going to choose them right and the people we relate to are the ones who are chosen well if the majority of leadership looks a certain way and is a certain gender so typically that would be a white man How often is that white man going to hand select a black woman Mm -hmm. for that opportunity? Right. Okay. I don't think we could calculate that mathematically, just by the way. Right. And in the the same example, in the nonprofit scenario, you basically have white women Mm -hmm. at the helm. Uh That's right. Right. Yes. And they're not going to pick a a young black man or a black woman to replace them. Very unlikely. So we, we, re, we recreate ourselves over and over again via mm-hmm. uh, implicit and explicit bias. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then we, de- we hand select those that we want to assume leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and we find and rationalize the reason why that person who doesn't fit my box or the box of the organization would not be a good fit. Mm-hmm. The culture, like I, I have sat and mediated in situations where these words were said. It doesn't seem like your the the values with which you work fit with the values of the organization. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a bunch of bullshit. Un- yes, right. Yes, <laughs> right. I'm from Jersey. I can say bullshit. You sure I can. can. <laughs> the conversation, then that person becomes. Uh, I call them the canary in the mine. Uh, yeah. They call them the angry black woman. 
That's right. Who is obstructionist and wants to create drama mm-hmm. because they they have the courage to bring up what's not working, mm-hmm. and then they become vilified, and either they leave or they get fired. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So so then, what can L and D do to help that? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, yep. using those examples. L&D, and when organizations are going, we, we, we do not have any people of color in our leadership, okay? So L&D can pop in and say, hey, we need to quit the hand selection thing for, for leadership development that's happening and open up our access. Oh, well, what does that look like? Well, it starts at the entry level. So we want to make sure that everyone has the tools, the resources, and the training they need to do their job at its best. And we want to train in a way where it gives them what they need for that next position. Mm -hmm. And you keep doing that the whole way. So then you're providing what's needed for people to be it. So when, when a position opens up, I'm equipped to apply for it. That's right. That's right. I'm equipped to apply for it because I've had what I needed. You've invested in me, given me the tools, given me the resource, you've given me access, and also done it in a way where it's relative to me. If what I need to get there is just slightly different than my colleague, I get what I need to get there. Mm-hmm. And that's the equity piece that's that the we miss piece. in a lot of ways, right? And the yeah. only piece that I would add to what you're saying, and I totally agree is how are you building your second level of leadership? Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, if you were not here tomorrow, who could take over? When you're not here, who are the people that are qualified at their best to apply for your position? Mm -hmm. Because you've done all of that incremental development work that you talked about. And we don't prepare people for that next level by teaching them how to be a manager. We prepare them by teaching them how to have difficult conversations, Mm -hmm. how to be emotionally intelligent. And that's why it it really irks me. I'm just trying to keep it cleaner than it really. Right. Do not be Jersey. I get it. (laughs) Yeah. But it really irks me when like companies bring in programs like emotional intelligence, crucial conversations and these programs or even situational leadership. And these programs cost 250 to $350 a person. And so they're like, okay, well, we're just going to put the managers through. That's right. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, what? Like that doesn't make any sense. These are not yeah, just manager skills. These are life skills. Even sit lead, which is about having conversations where you assign tasks is a, it's a life skill. It's, yeah. Is it very applicable to managers? Sure it is. It's also applicable to uh, team leads, team coordinators, and anybody who's going to have any type of leadership role. Somebody who's answering the damn phone for yes. your organization for yes. God's sake. Thank you. Like these are, yeah. this, the seven habits of highly effective people is probably a $450 a person class. I'm just guessing. I know. But you know what? Everyone should take that. Uh-huh. Every single human, it's my, in my opinion, I mean, my, my 18 year old daughter uh, ran a study on seven habits of highly effective teens. And I was like <laughs> beaming with pride because I'm like, of yes. Course. And guess what? You'll read it again and again and again, and again in your life. Again. But some people are not even given that opportunity because their corporation or their business or organization says managers only or only executive leaders. 
Right. You know? And that's, that's not, that's not equity. That's not access. It's not accessible. Like when I hear people talking about things, being that's continuing to invest in the 1% who already yeah. have it. And you know and what they, they made do it there? And they, they have the up. skills. They yeah. made it. You got to give it to the people who are not you. It's like when you see skinny people in the gym, you're like, what are you doing here? You're done. Go home. I just had to break it up a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, obviously we don't, I don't really mean that. I kind of do, but anyways, but you know, it's like, that just, it's the wrong mindset. It's the wrong mental model that only, uh, only those that are high up get developed. There are pockets of L and D people that really strongly believe this, but there are so many others that are, for lack of better word, just strapped to these old business ideals that they can't let go of that and realize that in, in learning and development, we're really about helping people become better humans so they'll be better at their job, be better with their with their families, and be able to move forward and make a difference in the world. And that's right. If, if I'm the only person that thinks that, then I'll just keep being the only person that's thinking that. But I don't no. think I am. You're not. No, you're not. You're not. Because if you invest in me mm -hmm. and make a difference in my life, I'm going to give back to you. Mm -hmm. I'm absolutely yeah. going to give back to you. So with the work from home, if you didn't spend so much time nickel and diming people's time and looking over their shoulder, if instead you spent that time investing in them and offering them opportunities and giving them time to actually build up their own skill set, even if it doesn't directly connect to their job right now, but yeah. it connects to them being a better employee, a better citizen, a better human, they will give you so much more because they are completely engaged and totally and 100% emotionally connected to the place that they work and the work that they do. Could you imagine if instead of teaching people like the most efficient way to, you know, turn a screwdriver, we instead taught them critical thinking. Then you can use that with every tool. Just and yeah, and just imagine the the ripple effect if we did that. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love it! I that love it! Fun. I love this conversation. We're, I know we're having such a good time. Yeah. What happens when we miss the mark or we we get it wrong? What are some of the consequences? And do you have any stories about doing DE and I and B wrong? Here are some of the 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 problems that have surfaced in doing this work is not knowing how to manage immediate reaction of people with privilege, primarily white people. When you invest energy, time, and funds in people who are non-white, mm. when you begin to say that the organization is going to make an anti-racist, become an anti-racist organization, or when you're talking about uh, inclusion, Mm -hmm. Right. People don't get that inclusion means white people. It means you all. It means everybody. They assume that they're going to lose stuff, that somebody else is getting more than they're getting. So there's been an incredible amount of conflict and pushback on two levels. One, the not including white people in this work, meaning that what is your role in this mm -hmm. movement? How do you become a white ally? Um, how do you build resilience, your resilience muscle as a white privileged person? It, regardless of whatever status you have, you being white is not going to cause you any problems. Uh, so that's what we're talking about. Me being brown and somebody else being black is going to cause a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean we're better. It just means we have a lot more barriers than you do just based on that. So 
we need to figure out what those barriers are so that it's equal to your access. Mm-hmm. Well, people don't understand that. People think that it's about replacing them, uh, about saying that they've done something wrong. So an incredible amount of guilt, which derails the whole conversation. I call it a call to white people to build the resilience muscle because those of us who have do not come from privilege or have struggled to just do survival stuff have to grow resilience out of trauma and survival. Mm-hmm. Um, other people who have not had to be uncomfortable and denied and offended and, you know, code switch and all of that don't have a lot of resilience. Right, because they haven't had to deal with that. So you have this incredible lack of resilience and this this uh, melting down uh, that turns into either accusations of discrimination or turns into guilt mm-hmm. and fragility. Mm-hmm. That's where I see the biggest fault line with this work. That there needs to be a really intentional way to include the growth and development of white people around resilience and around diversity and inclusion, their part of responsibility in that. Mm-hmm. So that it doesn't look at like an, we don't create an us versus them, which is really what's happened um, on the negative spaces um, results of the work that I have done. That's what I've seen. Yeah. What that looks like from an L&D practitioner side is that equity piece doesn't get discussed, right? So we're talking about emotional intelligence and and root cause issues and having difficult conversations and diving into those pieces. But when the work is produced and equity is not part of that work and we're not having the difficult conversations and we're not getting to those root causes and we're not talking about the systemic pieces, We've missed the mark. Mm-hmm. Marta was, was one of the few clients that I had worked with um, to develop training together. It was like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to dive into racial injustice. We're going to dive into equity. We're going to dive into a history and trauma of oppression. Like this is the depth that we're going to go into in mm-hmm in doing this particular training on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. We're going to dive into belonging. She gave me that. She was like, yeah, this is what we want to do. And then we did. Mm-hmm. Right, we, we started it by asking some mindful, reflective, critical questioning to get people to think, to you talk critical thinking, to really think through that. And the work was not absent of that deep work. It wasn't like, well, remember, we can't do that because that part's scary and expensive. And, you know, it was like, no, we're doing that because that's the work. Yes. So we've talked about what happens if we miss the mark. What's the impact of getting it right? What are some of the rewards? And do we have any stories? Have we ever seen this? I don't, I don't know. I have. I have. Tell me. I have a very, I call it my 150 shades of gray, very conservative white law firm primarily male, uh, and lawyers are the last one to come to the party. Uh, why they hired this brown queer woman to come be the D&I consultant to this day, I, I don't understand. But what they said is we wanted, we want to do the work. We want to be relevant 10 years from now. And you'll tell us the truth because you don't care. You don't care. You'll tell us the truth. 
And I said, if you want the brochure version, there's lots of people out there willing to do that. If you want to do systemic and long-term work, then I'm your girl. And they hired me. Well, we did all this work. We started having courageous conversations. We did a strategic plan about recruiting and exit interviews and systemically, even including the art. I mean, their offices look like a plantation. I got foxhounds, uh, you know, running. And, and it's sort of like, who's going to stay here? I feel like I'm waiting for the news to come down, you know, in the environment, right? Um, and their intentions are good, but the impact sucked. Uh, but they really wanted to do the change. We start doing slow work. We start uh, taking the DNI committee and making it part of the strategic plan, not just a site committee. Have a DNI strategic direction that goes right with the strategic plans. Having partners be part of the conversations, not just upcoming new folks. Doing all that slow, hard work. And then uh, Black Lives Matter started to happen in Louisville. And they, without my help, put out the most amazing statement about their commitment to pro bono work, about their commitment to the community, about where they stood with folks. They had been doing this work for a year when this happened. When I read that statement, it was like, it was a beautiful statement written for where they were in support of Black Lives Matter. They took the risk of losing multiple very, very, very high paying clients. And they lost several as a result mm -hmm. of that. That is a success. Because if I'm a young attorney and I happen to be a woman or I happen to be of color and I see that, I'm going to want to work with you. Mm -hmm. So they have grown from that tremendously uh, as a result of that. Another beautiful example, struggling nonprofit getting around DNI, looking at, um, you know, uh, qualitative and quantitative research of root cause. They wanted to look at root cause. Then when they faced the fact that it was about helping uh, the wealth gap <laughs> and uh, the education gap around people of color and, and immigrants and neighborhoods, they had to make some pretty tough decisions. Well, guess what happened? They decided to invest in root cause, putting 40% of their philanthropy in that. Now, everybody is wanting to follow them. When they were getting so much pushback because they were irrelevant to the nonprofit community, they made themselves relevant by doing the work of looking at uh, the research, qualitative and quantitative, around root causes, and then saying, we're going to invest in root cause. We're going to invest in impact. And that's where our philanthropy is going to go. I could not be more proud of both mm -hmm. of those organizations. Mm -hmm. So by the time the Breonna Taylor uh, murder happened, by the time the Magadie died, right, was killed, whatever, by all these hundred days of constant demonstrations in Louisville happened, these two organizations, very different, for-profit, not-for-profit, were ready to pivot Mm -hmm. into what they wanted to do and became, have become kind of leaders in that area, in their sector, while everybody else is trying to call us to help them get there. Mm -hmm. And by making that decision, they didn't go out of business. They didn't lose a bunch of money. All their people didn't leave. All those things that corporations fear will happen if they go down the route of the right way, none of those things happen. In fact, 
they were ready, like you said, when it was time for them to show up and do good work, they were ready. And that's uh, already. And what they're saying is we're so grateful. We started this work before this happened. Yeah. We're so grateful. Uh, These folks were calling folks who were of color or black or different saying, how are you partners, executive leaders, dropping off bags of stuff for people Mm -hmm. that they didn't work with saying, you know, we figured this is hard. Here's some things I'm thinking about you. What do you need? Again, humanizing. These people mm-hmm. never talk to each other because, yep. you know, I'm here and you're here and you're running my phone line. Uh, but I'm seeing that what you're seeing has to be traumatizing. So I'm going to reach out to you and check in that you're okay and let you know that I'm with you and that I would help you. Do you need extra time? Do you need to not be a face, have your face on Zoom? when we talk so that you don't have to act like you're okay when you're not. Those kinds of things. What can I do to support you? What can I do to help you? Those are great. Uh, That's a great story. Let's wrap up. I usually ask a couple of questions. I'm going to ask one in particular and then let you guys give your contact information. So the question I want to ask is, what is the message that you want to get out to the listeners? What do you want them to remember? And I'm not even going to say the part I usually do, which is topic related or not, because I think you're both going to pick something with this topic anyways. So what is it that you want them to remember? Go ahead, Marta, you go first. I want our listeners to remember that the time is now, that this is not a time to be neutral. This is a time to be bold, courageous, and transformational. Mm -hmm. And that we have been given an opportunity, one opportunity in a hundred years and one opportunity in 400 years to change the world, to change how we do things, to rethink what we think, and to make us all better as a result of both of these. Do not miss the mark. Do not stay anesthetized. Do not stay asleep. Wake up and change the world individually and collectively and as an organization, because we're not gonna get this chance again in a hundred years. And we are alive for a reason, and we are our ancestors' wildest dreams. Mm -hmm. So make our dreams a reality, because we can now. And if not now, when? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you really wanna follow that, Katie Ryan? I mean, that's hard. (laughs) That's a tough one to follow. But, but. What I will say is that this is really a, a, it is a, it is a call to action, which is what Marta is indicating here, right? And specifically, uh, this is a challenge to myself and the L&D profession to use this moment to transform the field, to be part of the solution, challenge our platform, to rethink who we are and how we do the work really ask ourselves these questions and infuse this mental model shift. Mm -hmm. Our field is a platform for equity and the work that we do moves the needle. When people are looking for how do we move the needle, the work that we do does that. So Mm -hmm. lean into this, really have those discussions, really get in there and remember that it all falls apart without belonging. Yes. That's part of the work that we do. And we're there to transform the workforce and prepare the workforce. We're there to be that voice that speaks 
to everyone on that front line that's needing help. Just, just make this mental model shift for transformational change. Challenge yourself and remember that the work we do moves the needle. And as we were talking about earlier, we're, we're create, that's what we do in L&D. We create change, right? And Marta brought up earlier, we're here to serve. So be of service, mm-hmm. not reactive, but make a difference in people's lives. I love it. I love both of those messages. And all I can think and, and hear in my mind when you're both talking is Hamilton, which of course, most of my thoughts have been replaced by Hamilton lyrics anyways. But look around, look around. Go ahead, sing it. And how lucky we are to be alive right now. Do I sound like Eliza? No. Yes. You sound lovely. You're lovely. I mean, and, and, I mean not only do I... My singing voice. <laughs> not only is it really catchy, but, you know... I think that's one of the biggest reasons that was such a huge part of that whole Broadway musical was because it's, it's true all the time. Right. And I think right. we kind of grab onto that now and say, okay, let's look around. It's not, it's not that it's scary, although some things are kind of scary right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Murder hornets. And uh, we are lucky to be alive because we have an opportunity to make an impact in these things. And I heard that in both of your messages. All right. Well, how can people connect with you guys if they want to after the show? Marta, you go ahead. Well, uh, I have a consulting company, organizational development uh, and training uh, company. It's called Catapult Now, LLC. And that's what I do. I'm a midwife. Uh, Wherever you are, we'll figure it out. Want to know where you want to go. And then I stay with you while you push and scream and want to get off the table and not want to do what is clear that needs to be done. Uh, and say, oh, you can't get off the table now. Sorry, we're too far ahead. Um, that's, that's what I do. I have uh, eight associates. Katie is one of them. Catapult now, uh, LLC. So that's the best way to get a hold of me. There's also a podcast that I, we do called Leading in Color for HR people and anybody who wants to hear the lived experience of people of color navigating white supremacist spaces and what that looks like. Uh, so uh, leadingincolor.org is another way that they can get a hold of me as well. Wonderful. Before I give mine, I just want to share with you my favorite Marta quote, oh. <laughs> which is a vision without a plan is a hallucination. And I will <laughs> say it applies here. It does. <laughs> so when we're thinking about <laughs> what Ellen Day is doing. Just remember that. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Perfect. Yeah. And as far as um, getting up, getting uh, in touch with me, uh, LinkedIn is great. That's a wonderful way to get in touch. You can look me up and I'll spell out my last name for you to make it easier. So double first name, Katie Ryan. And then my last name is F like fabulous, O, T like terrific, I, A, D like dynamite, I, S like stupendous. (laughs) That was amazing. That may be the best how you can connect with me that's ever been on If You Ask Betty. Sorry, Marta, but that was amazeballs. That was amazing. She's amazing. She's amazing. (laughs) fabulous. I spent my whole life spelling out that last name, you know? I bet you have. So you've been coming (laughs) up with some creative ways. I have some fun with this. I like it. I like it so much. Well, thank you so much, Katie, Ryan, and Marta for sharing your thoughts today. Thank you so much, listeners, and watch for another episode of the If You Ask Betty podcast soon. Peace out. Thank you, Betty. Thank you, Katie.